I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Hey there. Ever wonder what happens to all those amazing screenplays that never make it to the big screen? Well, wonder no more. Welcome to Table Read Podcast, where we bring those undiscovered gems to life. Picture this. Talented actors giving incredible performances with the occasional laugh or blooper thrown in, produced by award-winning pros. From drama to comedy, TV pilots to feature films, there's something for everyone. And guess what? We release new episodes every week, so don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Table Read Podcast, where great stories finally get their chance to shine. and welcome back to another episode of Thanks for Coming In. I'm your host, Jillian Clare. So, update on um, Doggate 2020? I don't know what to call it. <laughs> the dog from last week. Um, yeah, she's my dog now. It was a wild turn of events, um, and and now she's she's mine, and I've named her Pepper Potts and she is the sweetest, and she has so many of the same mannerisms as my my German shepherd. It's bizarre, but when I took her to the vet the other day to get her shots and all that kind of stuff, um, somebody there said she thought that she was an Australian shepherd husky mix, um, so I think I'm going to have to do a DNA test on this dog because I desperately want to know what she is, um, but she's great, and she's settling in, and you know, she's been getting me up at, at five in the five thirty in the morning every day. Um, she also has discovered how to open the door that leads to where I record. So if you hear uh, rolling doors, that's her coming in and out. Um, yeah. Anyway, it's been a good week. I'm gonna go see Top Gun after uh, this recording, which I'm very excited to see. And yeah, I've been back at trapeze which is great and super fun and I love it and I'm getting better every week and I'm super proud of myself um so there's that and that's about it 
um, make sure that you're subscribed to the show wherever you're listening to it right now and leave us some love. And uh, let's get into it. Today on the show, we have Jacqueline Zima. You know her as Bobby Spencer on General Hospital. Um, you may have also seen her on The Bay or Misguided or some of the several films that she's been in over the years. She's fantastic and a total icon, and I was very excited to talk to her. So here's my conversation with Jacqueline. And welcome to the show, Miss Jacqueline Zima. Thank you so much, Jillian, for inviting me to join you today. <laughs> Thank you. You know, my grandmother watched General Hospital every day of her life, um, and therefore my mother has watched nearly every episode as well. So I feel like I have um, grown up with you on all of my family members' televisions. <laughs> Well, thank you. You know what? My grandma watched too, and my mom. And so, you know, I think that's validation that soap operas are definitely a generational thing. And I think that's probably one of the big reasons why we've maintained our audience and our status in the industry. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Because it has that like nostalgic feel. I mean, I'll never forget coming home from, you know, kindergarten or whatever and grant or going over to grandma's house and getting my Triscuits and my uh, chocolate milk and sitting there and watching General Hospital with her. I mean, that was just a normal weekday. That was same for me. Now I'm a lot older than you are. So in my day, I come home from elementary school because we'd go home on lunch hour. And, you know, in those days, we didn't have a clicker. I mean, there were three channels, you know, ABC, (laughs) NBC, and CBS. There weren't a whole lot of choices. You had to pick one of three. And you sat in the middle of the floor, you know, with my lunch tray. And my mom and my my grandma would come out once a week to help my mom with us kids. And we'd watch, you know, we'd watch it in black and white. Wow. So I have incredible memories. And when I decided... Um, that I, I was thinking when I got older and I wanted to get a you know job and think, what am I going to do to earn a living? I was in college at NYU and um, I was sitting in a bagel nosh with my boyfriend <laughs> at the time. Right? And I said, you know what? I'm going to get a job on a soap opera because in those days they were a half an hour long. And I thought if you were on a soap, you only had to work half an hour a day. <laughs> I would have to my college school courses. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, my God. <laughs> but wow. here's the funny thing. I was had been taking a lot of acting lessons. You know, I was in drama in high school and all the plays. And I got, you know, the leads in the plays. And I was – so I had a lot of training. It wasn't like I just, you know, showed up one day with no training. Right. Um, but, yeah, so I auditioned uh, for a show and um, got the offer. So there you go. And that was one life to live, right? No. Do you want to hear my no. audition story? Oh my Whoa, god! Yeah. Yes. Okay. So I have I have a few audition stories. I have to tell you though, Jillian, I have not really auditioned much in my career. I would say I had one good audition, and it carried me for the next <laughs> eight years on TV. <laughs> I mean, but, talk about like. Right place, right time, and talent all combined. Boom. Yeah. Well, here's the kicker. Okay, so I go in. Um, my agent calls Kaplan Vite at the time and says, oh, go on over. To the, Ryan's Hope is looking for somebody. And I knew I wanted to be on soap, so it was like perfect, you know. Um, they're looking for a 
Rini Zabo was the character name. If anybody remembers, I don't, you know, wasn't at the time watching Ryan's Hope. I was watching different soaps, but um, I knew it was po very popular. And uh, so I, I'm in the office. Now, in those days, they didn't put you on tape. when It was a contract role. So right. It was a big you know, contract role with a promise for um, a really good guarantee. In those days, they would guarantee you anywhere when you were starting out, like one and a half episodes per week, up to three episodes per week. That was wow. the deal. And you got a, you know, you got an X amount of money. And then at the end of the year, so it, was, it would, and you'd go on 13 week cycles. So they would hire mm. you, even though they would give you like a two or three year contract on, on their end, you were in 13 week cycle so that anytime when the end of a 13 week cycle, they could let you go. So you, you were oh. only firm for 13 weeks on your deal. That's all the networks did that at the time. That's how it worked. It was a big deal. Like after you were on for like maybe like two or three year, con your second contract, they would push you to a 26 week cycle. So then you'd have 26 weeks guaranteed. Took like, and you're it like, took a hallelujah. <laughs> hallelujah. And then finally you get to the one year pay or play. And then when you're on for a million years, they ask you to sign for a very long time and it's a lock. You know what I mean? But it mm -hmm. takes a long time in Soapland to get to that. So anyway, I know that was that was a little um, uh, segue crazy, but anyway, random. I mean, sorry, it's random. it's, it's super it. interesting. Right. I feel like nobody really talks about how that process works because you know a lot of soap opera fans. It's just like you watch and like sometimes your favorite characters are gone and sometimes they're here and sometimes they're killed and then back in a few months. So you never really know. Yeah. So it's interesting, I think, for people to hear like how you know, strenuous it is for, for actors as well to sit there and go, geez, is my contract going to be picked up or am I going to have to find another job? Like that's stressful. Yeah. It's all contracts and it's deals and it's, it's, um, it, it depends yeah, on every situation. So anyway, okay. So I go over to Ryan's Hope and mm. in those days they didn't put anybody on camera. You just read, you know, for the producer, I wasn't even reading with another actor. I, I get the, and you know, and in those days, there's no um, computer, there's no right. fax machines. You literally had to like drive over to the studio. Well, I was in New York, so I didn't drive. I, I took the subway and then, you, you know, walk over, get the sides and you literally get the sides like five, five minutes before you walk into the room. So wow. thank goodness. You know, I was in college, I was in school, I had a good memory because I was used to like learning things and studying so I could memorize really, really fast. So um, I'm out in the waiting room for like five minutes with these sides and it's like a really long monologue. It's like a mm. like a page and a half of a monologue. And I'm like, oh gosh, can I shove these lines in my brain in five minutes and not have to be <laughs> looking at the page? Now I was young at the time, so I didn't, I wasn't wearing glasses. I could actually see the pages. <laughs> But, you know, when you're peaking, <laughs> the performance isn't so good. So I tried to memorize them as good as I could. And then, he let, you know, I would go into the, the office and he, it was his the executive producer's office. And he has sat behind his big, you know, very important desk. And I sat on the other side of the desk. There were two chairs. I picked a chair, sat down. And he said, are you ready? And I said, yes. And I started to do the monologue. And it was a very dramatic monologue. It was a, mm. and, you know. I got into like the first pair and the tears are flowing. I'm like, Oh God, you know, I was crying. Cause they want to see on a soap opera 
I guess it was going to you be a dramatic obviously, story. Yeah, you cry. have to be able to cry on a soap opera. Come on. <laughs> and when the director, you know, they have a scene and that's what they want. So thank goodness that was going well and I was feeling really good. And I got into like the first, like maybe the first three quarters of the first page and his phone rang on the <gasps> desk and he answered the phone. No. In the middle of my crying my luck. I'm like, oh, I guess it's not going as well as I thought it was. <laughs> So that was that. He said, thank you very much. Walk me to the door. I get out to the street. Now, there's no cell phones in these days, but there's a phone booth. So I immediately go to the phone booth and I take out my, you know, 25 cents or 50 cents or whatever it was to call my agent, who was Gloria Dolan's at Kaplan Light Agency. I go, Gloria, uh, so I thought it was going well, but apparently not. I was halfway through my monologue and he phone rang and he answered she said oh dear that's okay he offered you the job he 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 answered the phone because he knew he was already going to hire you he didn't need to see anymore and they offered me the job oh my god so then she said yeah so then she says so you want to run on over to one life to live because they're looking for somebody over there and you know um they said they would you know be happy you know to see you go over there so I go over to One Life to Live. I had done an under five for on One Life to Live, like I don't know, the week before. For those mm. people who don't know, an under five is um, when you have five lines or less on a show. So it's not really considered an extra role because you actually mm-hmm. do speak, but five lines or less. So it's a different pay scale than an actual guest star role with a whole scene. So they pay you less for an under five. So I had had an un, one under five on One Life to Live the week before, but it was a really good one. And um, mm-hmm. with Marco Dane, if anybody remembers watching One Life to Live a million years ago, uh, it was a really good scene where I was a waitress and I walked by his table and he went to grab my butt and I turned around and I said, don't you ever do that again. That's so rude. Yes. <laughs> and I guess they laughed. <laughs> so I went over to One Life to Live and they, I met with Doris Quinlan, the producer, and they offered me a contract role on One Life to Live. I didn't even audition. Oh my God. They so now you have two contracts me. being yeah, offered they to you. Me, actually, they booked me for like another under five, but offered me the contract until it was negotiated. And, and um, so then I had two contracts. So believe it or not, the first audition that I ever actually did for Rans Hope, I didn't take the job. I took the One Life to Live. They mm. were offering me One Life to Live. It, it, I loved both shows. And I, I was I said, Amazing, which one should I choose? She said, Well, that's really up to you. She said, One Life to Live was offering you $25 more per episode. So it's <laughs> a little bit more money. Um, and the guarantee, I think, was I forget whether it was two or three a week shows a week, so it would have come out to like $75 more a week, which in those days, you know, was a lot more money. It was a lot more money, you know, it was like seven times they say seven times from those days of what the money is now, so seven times 75 is a lot more money to me in those days. So, um, I took the one life to live deal, there you go. Wow, and when I when I started on. One Life to Live, Doris Quinlan, whom I adored. She was amazing, amazing producer and a kind, wonderful, really brilliant, smart woman. She called me into the office and she said, okay, dear, no, you have your contract. I signed and you're going to be working with Jameson Parker. We're going to do like a love story. God, my first day on the show, I, I had like four scenes in bed with Jameson Parker, like 10 oh, no. pages. With like, just like a, 
a camion and you know yeah. they had to pull down with no straps so they could pull down the sheet at the end of the love scene and show a bare back it would look like you were nude I was so nervous oh I my felt gosh. like I was throw up I was so nervous I, and and she, she but Doris had said to me look we're gonna hire you and give you like this it's a big storyline you're going to be working a lot with a lot of lines we know you could do it um but I just want you to know it's an arc and an arc means that you know you'll be really written in heavy for like the first three or four months mm-hmm. and then I'm not supposed to tell you this but we're going to kill off the character that was the plan so I don't oh want you God. to feel that you haven't done a good job. I'm just going to have to call you back in here within another three to four or five months and tell you that you've just, you know, shot your last show or you're getting the script for your last show. And I don't want you to take that as you haven't done a good job. That's just what the plan is. So kind. I mean, she, I never told anybody. How I mean, it was a total secret. sweet of her to do I that know, for you. Right? Because to be so young, it was my first job, you know, my first profession outside of a couple of commercials. Right. Um, I'll bore you with those stories if you want to hear them. But but it was so the confidence of being a young person and not letting her set me up to feel like oh my god I'm you know on top of the world for three months and then boom. So uh, there we go. And then I remember going to her with all these lines like the first show. I was so nervous. Oops, sorry, that's my phone. I will silence my phone. I apologize. I mean, it happens. It happens more than you would think. Sorry, yeah. So, so anyway, where was I? Um, Doris. So, oh, so yeah. So Doris was absolutely kind and wonderful. There was no social media in those days, so really, who was right. I going to tell? But I didn't even tell anybody on the set. I didn't even tell Jameson. You know, when I was working with mm. Jameson Parker yeah. and all these scenes. And I went into her the day when I had that three scenes of ten pages each. It had to be in the bed, and I was like, in, like literally in the bathroom, feeling. And I went, I don't know if. You know, I don't know if I'm cut out for this. Like, I'm so nervous. I feel like I'm going to get sick before we shoot the show. <laughs> it's like, no, I'm not, I'm not having a whole lot of fun here. <laughs> Maybe I'm not ready. She said, dear, you're ready. She said, everybody feels that way in the beginning. Give it a month. There are a lot of people who want the job. If after a month you come back to me and tell me that you're really unhappy, we'll make an adjustment. But for now, you're going to be fine. And then sure enough, I did like maybe the first couple weeks, like a lot of shows, a lot of lines. And then Jameson was so great. He would run lines with me. The people on One Life to Live. I mean, I just remember, you know, Michael Storm and Erica Slazak. I mean, they were amazing people on that show. George Reinhold. They were also nice to me. Um, and I felt like part of the family. And then the nerves yeah. went away. The jitter, Well, you know, we always get little jitters, but the not having any the, fun. The real, <laughs> yeah, the real terrifying yeah. ones where you're like, oh my god, there's a camera and I have to perform and everyone is watching me. Oh my god. Um, yeah. Because you know, on One Life to Live, we we didn't. It was all live on tape, and what I mean that there was no stopping, there was no editing. Like right. if somebody forgot a line make it up as you go along because there was no editing we had to give our cameras to the news to the six o'clock news to go on at stop it yeah we started shooting at five and we had to be off the air at six because boom they pushed a switch in the control room and the news had our control booth so there were no stopping so if we had to get changed in those days you know the shows you maybe had two or three wardrobe changes on one show we would joke you always had to change the top half of your outfit first because if you didn't have time to do the bottom they'd just shoot you tight 
And when you wow. were doing a scene, there was a stage manager standing like outside of the right in front of the sets. And if you know, you, you needed to stretch the scene to go. Cause when your show was over, the show was over, he'd be going like stretch. This would mean stretch, like talk slower, talk slower. And then they give you a countdown, 10, nine, eight, seven, how many seconds you had to go out. Or if you, if you were dragging, they'd start going like this, like 30 seconds before telling you, you got 30 seconds to finish the scene. So you had to talk faster. So that, let me tell you, Jillian, that was the best training in the world. Talk about, you know, what you have to I do. Honestly, to keep it smart I did not realize that soaps were like live back then. I had no yeah. idea. Yeah, they were. Oh they my were. God. So, yeah. And in those days, of course, wow. they were only a half an hour long. They weren't an hour long yet. They switched to, when I came out to do General Hospital, we switched to first 45 minutes. We shared an hour and a half. I think we shared with, one life to live mm. for a while or one life to live. And all my children, you know, it was all my children, one life to live GH. So we shared time. Yeah. We went to 45 minutes and then we went to an hour, you know, but that took a few right. years. That was a while. So that you can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. So when you get killed off from One Life to Live, how do you make that transition from that show out to Los Angeles where General Hospital is. I never auditioned. So, okay, so they're looking for, which I didn't know, because again, there was no Twitter or Instagram or social media. I didn't know they were looking for somebody on, um, you know, in General Hospital. They had been testing, screen testing girls. And I learned this mm. later because Ken Schreiner, who plays Scotty Baldwin on GH, told me he was testing with girls to be like his love interest on the show yeah. but I had no clue so I'm sitting in the theater watching Beatlemania which was a big show on Broadway at the um, theater in those days and sitting next to me is Fred Silverman who was mm. the head of uh, programming for ABC oh. and we're talking and he looks at me and he goes you're funny how would you like to be on a sitcom and I said well you know um in those days, sitcoms, you kind of had to be like a bubble, funny girl, you know, silly. And right. I just didn't want to do that. I said, well, actually, you know, I'm on the soap opera, you know, um, 
One Life to Live, but Murray, who was my boyfriend, he was special consultant for Beatlemania, so that's how I was there. Got to go out to California to um, the show, Beatlemania's opening at the Schubert Theater in Century City. I said, and mm. you know what? They're about to kill me off on One Life to Live. I was on for two and a half years, just about to go on to three years, and they were finally going to, they had stretched out that storyline as long as they could. And yeah. then Doris heard that Mary, you know, was going out to California, was go. So they wrapped up my storyline. I said, and I'm going to be free, like in, you know, three, four weeks to go out. And the next day, I get a call from the network, Jackie Smith, who was head of daytime programming at um, ABC at the time whom I adored. She was so lovely. She said, so they're looking, Douglas Marland is the head writer for a show called General Hospital. I said, oh, I know General Hospital. Yeah. She said, well, he lives in Connecticut, but he'd like to come into New York to talk with you about maybe joining the show. They have a character that um, he thinks you could do very well. And he's creating the character and he would, you know, he would create it for you. So Douglas Marland drove to my apartment in New York where wow. Murray and I lived, sat on the floor, because in those days, I mean, you know, it was all lavender. My walls were my rugs. I had cushions on the floor. It was like very, like, cool, boho. And there's Douglas Marlin, this classy, elegant, famous, freaking awesome writer, comes and sits on the floor like it's nothing in my <laughs> lavender living room. And, you know, he had penciled me in for like a 20-minute meeting. And, and I said, well, how long do you have before you have to jump? And he goes, well, you know, 20 minutes or as long as it takes for us to get to know one another. He stayed for like three hours. We sat oh and we just talked. And we were laughing and talking. He was so nice. He was so amazing. And, of course, then the next day they called and I got the offer to go to General Hospital. Wow. So they, I, they offered me, this is how good we got treated in those days. Three sets of first class tickets back and forth because I had to go immediately for wardrobe fitting and then let me, they let me come back. And then I had to go down to, you know, get settled. Like I, my dog came on the plane and then come back. And then the third set of tickets was, you know, from, and two tickets each, two first class tickets each time. The last wow. time was to pack up my apartment, you know, move, like tell the doorman I'm going and the concierge and get the car. We had a car in the garage and all that move and pack up and go. And, um, they put me up in a bungalow in the Beverly Hills Hotel for three months. They gave oh me God. a limousine and a driver. Bobby Grillo was my friend limo driver um, for three months. And they gave, the reason why I got the bungalow was because we had a German shepherd named Ruffian who, you know, they couldn't go in the normal hotel because you can't yeah. have a German shepherd. So they gave me a big, beautiful two-bedroom bungalow for Ruffian and us. And that was it. I mean, then I started, and Ken tells this story, and I don't remember this, but he said, oh, my God, when I, because I had the, they gave me the limo, because I didn't have my car out yet, you know, and I ended mm -hmm. up, we ended up getting rid of that car, and I had at least a car, so they gave me the limo to use full time, and he said, oh, you drove up in this limo, and we're wondering, who is this, who's getting out of this, you know, who's coming in the limo, he said, and now <laughs> he goes, that was my first impression of you, getting out with this, all this, and I had had brown hair as Lana, so I dyed my hair red for Bobby because I mm. wanted Bobby to be bouncier. And um, I had gained as much weight as I could for Lana because Lana had alcohol and drug problems, you know, when she was going off One Life to Live. So I wanted mm. like a more puffy, like look. Right. 
And then right. for Bobby, I wanted to be energetic and bouncy, like completely different, really intelligent, smart and peppy. So I lost that weight. I mean, I literally, I like didn't eat for like, I think two days. I had two, Oof. I had one day in between. I went off and literally they were having me die. My scenes on One Life to Live were airing as I was like Lana McLean was dying on One Life to Live. I was popping off the elevator on General Hospital in my student nurse's uniform and the shows yeah. were airing back to back and they, they went, Oh my God, we didn't know that we've, we didn't realize they were airing back to back, but the audience loved it. They were like, Oh, wait, right. oh, oh, you know, they're like, <laughs> is there a connection here? <laughs> yeah. A connection here. And the tag end of the scene, you know, was like Bobby with brown hair, you know, a little heavier to, uh, I mean, Lana with brown hair popping into, you know, Bobby. So that was just very lucky for me that I guess it got a little bit of attention in the network because they were yeah. all like, they didn't like it at first, but then they went, well, what the heck? The ratings. Everybody loved it. Liked it. They liked it. <laughs> They're tuning yeah. in. Wow. And Gloria and- just come on GH and uh, show was about to be canceled. It was not doing well. The ratings were low and all of a sudden Ken and, and Jeannie and I got this big storyline and, and, um, ratings started popping up and they brought in um uh gerald gordon from um new new york who was Mm. on the doctors i think he was a big deal on the doctors they brought him and all of a sudden people started watching gh again gloria monty was brilliant she just knew how to create story you know and here you are (laughs) six thousand episodes later as bobby i mean that's like I can't even think about how many hours that takes to do over 6,000 episodes of a, of a show. I mean, yeah. that's, that's such, it's so incredible. <laughs> it's so incredible. Like not many people can say that about, you know, one single show. I think there's probably only a handful of people in the soap world who can even say that where it's like, yeah, I've done this many hours on this. This is, it's huge. I, I think it's probably only on our show. Leslie Charlson's been on like we're Leslie Charlson who plays Monica, Ken mm-hmm. Schreiner, Scotty, Jeannie Francis, of course, Laura. Yeah. And um I'm trying to think in our little group. I think we're the longest. Yeah. You know, I think and then and then you have like um like Stuart Damon before he passed had been on for many, many years. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And and then you've got like um Christina Wagner, you know right. what I mean, who was on for a long time, Lynn Herring, but they came on after, you know, later. So they don't have as many episodes, but they had a lot of airtime. So yeah, we've been, we've been fortunate. I mean, I just feel, I am so freaking grateful to, you know, have this incredible career. I have two daughters who are grown that I got to stay home and be with and not have to travel or go to Europe or go to Canada to shoot things. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I could be mom. They would come to the set with me. I would nurse them. Both my daughters were on my boob. Cassie for 12 months. Lacey for 14 months. Lacey got an extra two months because I was shooting an after school special in um, Montana for ABC at the time. And it was freezing cold. And I ended up at four o'clock in the morning because I had 5 a.m. set calls, you know, to get into makeup and hair. So she got an extra two months on my boob. <laughs> because I'm up in the morning and go, okay, eat now. <laughs> Oh my gosh. What a gift. And I remember what a gift, truly. I mean, and you've done so many other things too outside of this. I mean, 
Recently, you've been heavily involved in the web series and indie series world with Misguided in the Bay, and I just saw you at the Indie Series Awards. I mean, it's nice to be able to, you know, I feel like when somebody like you comes into the indie series world, it brings not only like a credibility, but it's like a a blessing of like, you're doing the right thing. Well done. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. It's life is like that. You know, I think, you know, you know how life goes. You never know what's up next. And what I've learned, what I've seen over the years is that you come to all of these crossroads and you Mm got to pick this or that, you know, especially when in the beginning, when you're young, you like this, different audition. I mean, I remember the time when I was auditioning for, you know, the Ryan's Hope and the GH, there was also Laughing was looking for somebody. Mm. Goldie Hawn got. Um, yeah. Saturday Night Fever wanted me to t- test for the Karen Langorney role, the, the girl that danced with him. Same thing. Wow. So all these opportunities. And I said, no, I'm going to, I'm going to go with the soap because I knew I wanted to have a family eventually. And I knew I wanted, to, you know, to be home. And, and I, I thought there's, better training in there and I had been studying with Wynn Hanman at American Place Theater in New York and Wynn said to me don't take that soap opera contract you he said to me this gave me so much confidence you have the potential to be a great actress if you go on that soap opera it's going to ruin you you're just going to have to like churn out a lot of stuff every day and I said yeah so what I should turn down this incredible opportunity to work every day to what to like take a job that's just for money in between, right. you know, and I love theater, but, you know, being a, a peon young actress, you don't make any money in theater when you're young doing off-Broadway no. shows, you know. I said, I no, have to earn a don't. living. So, <laughs> no, you don't. I mean, even now, you know, I've done a few, you know, like plays, Equity Wayward Theater. You don't get paid for those. I mean, you don't make No, you no. You those 99-seat equity theaters where yeah. it's like, I'm just, here's my, my gas stipend. <laughs> Yeah, and they're fun to do creatively, yeah. but you can't live on the money, you know, so no. you have to figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> um, wow, I think I could talk to you for literal hours <laughs> because you are so fun and you have such great stories. Um, but, I mean, thank you so much for coming on. I feel like I've learned so much from you, and it's been such a cool, like, I don't know, learning experience for me to hear the the backstories of some of the shows that were so influential in my younger years. Aw, thank you, Jillian. Thank you. Look at our hair. Do we have the same color hair? I think we I might. noticed that, the, yeah, when I saw you at the other party, I was looking at your hair. I was thinking, I, I like her color hair. I wish I could get, I was going to ask you for your formula. And then I switched my I formula to, to make it a little brighter because it was getting faded. So you look great. Yeah. I just have to tell you, you. you're beautiful. Oh, thank I you. You Um... <laughs> Oh my God. Okay. Well, it's been so, 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 so lovely talking to you. How can people follow you on social media to stay up to date on all things Jackie? Oh, okay. So Instagram, I'm, I know different ones. Jacqueline, J-A-C-K-L-Y-N dot Zeman, Z-E-M-A-N. And on Twitter, I'm uh, Jackie Zeman, J-A-C-K-I-E-Z-E-M-A-N. So Perfect. I'm going to have to have you back on the show at some point because I feel like there's so much more to talk about. Um, but it was such oh, a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you so, so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Thanks again to Jackie for coming on the show. Such a fun time talking with her. Um, make sure to follow the show wherever you're listening to it now and leave some love, leave some rates, leave us some reviews. I don't know who's on next week. Um, I forget, but there will be somebody. 
Um, so tune in then. And as always, thanks for coming in. Hello, dear stranger. I'd like to introduce you to something new, or perhaps something very, very old. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine is a horror fantasy medical mystery, following the titular monk turned traveling medical investigator. Follow Radolf as he navigates a nightmare world, in which viruses are gods, and the human race are not their favored children. Steeped in history and an aesthetic that can only be described as a combination of occult academia and laboratory Judaica, the heresies of Redolf Burntwine have been described as Umberto Echo meets H.P. Lovecraft. For more information, check out the Patreon at thorb.info. But take care, dear stranger, for some truths are best left unknown.